is Kendra Winchester, and I'm here with Autumn Privet, and this is Reading Women, a podcast where we're reclaiming half the bookshelf by discussing books written by or about women. And this is episode 52, where we're talking about Heartberries by Therese Marie Myatt and Why Be Happy When You Can Be Normal by Jeanette Winterson. Hello, Kendra. Excited to talk memoir with you again. Yes, I am so thrilled to talk about these two books. I feel like there's so much depth to both of them. Yeah, and I feel like, as we talked about a little bit in our last episode, there is a tendency, I feel like, especially in reviews for reviewers, not ev- not just professional reviewers, but even Goodreads reviews, which is almost like reading the comment section sometimes, but that's beside the point, <laughs> for especially memoirs by women to be dismissed as women's stories about the female experience, which is just not true. I mean, these are like universal stories that everyone should read. Definitely. And I think that's one of the things that help us build empathy as well is hearing from people from all walks of life. And women have traditionally been more unheard in, you know, the grand scheme of things. So hearing about women from different walks of life, I think is just so important. And so that's why we've chosen both of these books. Yeah, which we summarized a little bit beforehand in the last episode. And if you haven't read either of these books, We do keep these episodes spoiler-free, so that way you can hear our discussion and hopefully it will inspire you to read them. And if you have read them, hopefully we'll add another level of, I don't know, understanding, complexity, help you ask some questions about the book. So if you haven't read them, don't be afraid to listen. Exactly. And Autumn, I think you have our first pick. Yes. So... My discussion book, as we've already talked about, is Heartberries by Therese Marie Myatt by Counterpoint Press. So this book is about Therese's experiences growing up on the Seabird Island Indian Reservation in the Pacific Northwest, but in Canada, so not in the U.S. And she kind of talks about the experiences that she had, and she also talks a lot about mental health. She was diagnosed with bipolar 2 and PTSD. And she also struggled with addiction. She was sexually abused by her father, who was an alcoholic, and but also an artist. And she also talks about her relationship with her mom, who was a healer in the community, and the things that Therese learned from her mother about remedies and different ways of healing. And it's just really, even though it's only barely 140 pages, there's so much packed into this little tiny memoir. Definitely. And I felt like each of the little chapters, she used so few words that so many other authors might have used umpteen amounts of words to communicate. And she just communicated that in just this short amount of space. And I feel like to communicate that much in a short word count is so much harder, honestly, than a longer word count. Yeah, I agree. Mm hmm. Before we get too far into the book, though, I did want to say, like, so Therese, she has her MFA from the Institute of American Indian Arts, which we'll talk more about later. She's an editor at The Rumpus. Um, She's had articles in Guernica and Pacific Standard and Elle, other places. She definitely is a very talented and experienced writer, and I'm so happy that she's now being recognized for that. Yes, and we've talked to in the past, a couple of months ago when we did poetry, and one of the books that I talked about was... Whereas by Laylee Long Soldier. And that book really 
showed me how few books I'd read by Indigenous or First Nations voices in my lifetime, apart from like very stereotypical types of stuff from my history books, unfortunately. Reading that and then reading this has really made me want to hear more, hear more fiction, nonfiction, poetry from First Nations voices. And I appreciate how, you know, Teresa has talked about the need for more Native voices in all different types of literature and how she's been promoting other authors from her MFA Institute as well, and how their just whole message is trying to cultivate Indigenous writers and their talents and promoting that and trying to have a wider range of Indigenous experiences portrayed in literature, which I just think is amazing. So like Tommy Orange and uh, Therese uh, were profiled together and they've also been promoting each other's books and working together but also promoting other students work at the MFA Institute that are still working on their stuff right now so I think that's amazing. So Autumn when you first started reading this book what was your initial impression and what had you expected it to be? Oh that's a good question. Um, I don't know that I had any ideas going into it. This is one of the first books that I read this year, actually, because it came out in February. And so there weren't many reviews out yet, and people hadn't really been talking about it yet. So thankfully, I came to it without any preconceived ideas about it. I was really impressed by the writing style, which I know a lot of people have talked about, about it being difficult. She's gotten some negative reviews, which have not necessarily fair reviews, but it's very sparse and it's very raw. And I feel like there's a tendency, especially in memoirs written by women to, oh, what's the word? Like, um, moralize it or make it like gloss over difficult parts and make it more palatable. I'm putting palatable in quotes. And she doesn't do that. Like instead of turning her story into a moral, she just tells it how it is. And so because of that, it really packs, as I said, it packs a punch. Especially, I think, since she has the courage to portray herself with all her flaws and all of the stupid decisions that she's made in her life. And she just puts that out there and she says, you know, this is my past. These are the decisions I made and this is the struggles that I have. And having that just real person on the page is just I feel like she's so courageous for her to do that. And I know she said that she didn't feel courageous like doing that. She was just telling her own story. But I think that just goes to show the mindset and the beauty behind this memoir. Oh, for sure. And she talks to, and I think like her telling her story, and actually, you know, I'm just going to read the first page in the first section because she can tell it better than I can. I'm just going to read the first chapter of, or the first page of the first chapter just so you can get a flavor, not only for her writing style, but also she explains kind of her process for writing this book. My story was maltreated. The words were too wrong and ugly to speak. I tried to tell someone my story, but he thought it was a hustle. He marked it as solicitation. The man took me shopping with his pity. I was silenced by charity, like so many Indians. I kept my hand out. My story became the hustle. Women asked me what my end game was. I hadn't thought about it. I considered marrying one of the men and sitting with my winnings, but I was too smart to sit. I took their money and went to school. I was hungry and took more. When I gained the faculty to speak my story, I realized I'd given men too much. 
The thing about women from the river is that our currents are endless. We sometimes outrun ourselves. I stopped answering men's questions or their calls. Women asked me for my story. This is an incredible opening. It really is, and she really jumps to the chase, too, or gets to the point about... And I think the point she makes about the systematic silencing of Indigenous voices is there and she definitely approaches that head on and it's an important it's kind of like the elephant in the room as it were and she doesn't shy away from that at all which is an important thing to recognize as well and she does it also in a way that just reflects the style of the rest of the book of how it's sort of fragmented and impressionistic in a few ways and especially when she focuses in on something she's trying to communicate and I think that's just a beautiful style. And using that, I, I'm not sure she would have been able to sustain it for a long book, but she has, but she doesn't need the pages. She mm-hmm. just gets there and she communicates what she's saying. And it's just a very beautiful, um, stylized type of prose. Definitely. There's an interview that Kendra and I both watched on The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. And she talks about a couple different things in that interview. It's short. We'll link it in our show notes so you can easily find it. But she talks about a couple things in there which I think speak to this opening passage. One is that there's this cultural belief that indigenous people need to be helped. And there's this long history of particularly white people coming to try to save or help or fix people who are indigenous people. So she talks about that, which is also touched on this intro. And she also talks about how, you know, since her book has come out, people have been trying to say that she is representative of all First Nations or indigenous women. And she makes a distinction that she's representing, but she's not representative, which is a really unique distinction and very beautifully put as well. And I think oftentimes with, different minority groups, the majority likes to say, this is our singular representation. So like when Amy Tan wrote The Doilette Club, they're like, oh, this is the Chinese woman writer. And Mm. there's this idea that there is a singular, we only need one, for example, but that's not true. Every group needs multiple voices to portray the wide variety of experience within that group. And I appreciate how she communicates that and says, I am representing my experience. So I am one version of a story, but there are other stories that also need to be told. And her voice, too, as the book progresses, I feel like, or I felt like it got stronger. So it's almost like as she writes out her story and tells her story, we see her and feel her in her prose kind of find her voice. Did you feel that way? I I felt like she was finding, yes, more ground and she talks a lot more about her past, obviously, in the beginning of the book, structurally wise. I mean, it is not as a nonlinear narrative, but she jumps back and forth to her time when she uh, was institutionalized for her bipolar disorder, but also the background of when she had her first son taken from her and a, a lot of different things. But then she begins to gain a voice and come to terms with what happened to herself as a child. And yeah, I definitely think that she's beginning to learn that she's worth it, that she is a valuable person and moving forward. So it is hopeful in the end, but you can tell that it's just a journey beginning as opposed to like tying it up with a neat little bow. Yeah, I, I agree for sure. And we mentioned at the beginning of this segment 
about the Institute of American Indian Arts. It is located in Santa Fe, and there's a lot of First Nations writers who are in residence there. And if you're looking for more stories written from these perspectives, I would definitely go and check out and see who's graduated from there and who are the writers coming out of that program. Because they're you, you recently read Tommy Orange's book, didn't you? Yes, I read there there, and he has a wide range of narratives. It's like interconnected short stories. It's been described, the structure is like a spider's web. And as you all know, I'm kind of obsessed with, with structure. And so I loved seeing that on the page. And there's a lot of amazing women characters that he portrays. And someone asked him what was his perspective and why he wrote so many strong women. He's like, I wasn't intending to write strong women. I was just writing the women in my life and they are strong. So I wrote them. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> so I was like, yes, thank you so much. So uh, at the end of Reading Women Month in June, the first book I picked up by a dude was Tommy Orange's book and I absolutely loved it. And I think it qualifies as the buyer about women. So go forth. <laughs> and find it and read it because it's also amazing. And I will link to the profile of both Therese and Tommy Orange in the our show notes as well. So you can go read that. It is is really a great interview slash profile that they did of the two authors. Also, next year, we want one of the themes to be uh, First Nations or Indigenous writers. So if you have any recommendations for books that you've read and really enjoyed from those perspectives, please definitely email those to us or send us a message on Instagram or Twitter because um, we are starting to compile our list for next year already and we want to hear more about those. So that is it for our discussion of Hardberries by Therese Marie Myatt and it is out by Counterpoint Press. And now it's time for this week's sponsor, which is Bomba Socks. And Bomba Socks are engineered for comfort for everyone's every day. So that means that whatever you do, there's Bomba Socks that will fit that activity. So if you're a runner or a book reader on the couch and don't like for your feet to get cold or whatever you do, they have a pair of socks that will fit your needs. And they come in different lengths. So if you are wearing boots and you're, I always have a problem with my boots that I get blisters and there's never a sock the right length. So they sent me a, these quarter length socks and they just go right over the ball of your ankle and it's perfect. So I, I'm not getting blisters. So I don't have to like roll down like calf socks or try to just deal with ankle socks. And that's been really great because I need my boots in my life. And they sent me a pair of the no-show socks, and they don't slip at all. Like, there is a problem where the no-show socks kind of, like, roll down to your toes, and then you can't find them, and there's really no <laughs> point. Um, so mine haven't done that at all. I've been really impressed. And they have a lot of padding, too, So which no-show socks usually don't have. So they're super comfy. And, you know, Bombas worked for a long time to engineer these socks so that they would work this way. And also, they come in so many different colors. And another cool thing that I really think is is great is that for each pair of socks that you buy, Bombas donates one brand new pair of socks to every homeless shelter because homeless shelters can't accept used socks. So to date, they've donated over 9 million pairs of socks. Which I think is pretty cool because those are the number one thing uh, requested in homeless shelters. So for Reading Women's listeners, you can get 20% off your first order by going to bombas.com. That's B-O-M-B-A-S.com forward slash Reading Women. That's no space Reading Women. And you can use the code Reading Women and get 20% off your first order. So if you want a perfectly soft pair of beautifully colored socks, definitely go check this out. 
And there will, of course, be a link in our show notes that you can just click right through. So thanks again to Bombas Socks for sponsoring this episode of Reading Women. And Kendra, you have our next pick. Why don't you tell us about it? So my discussion book this month is Why Be Happy When You Can Be Normal by Jeanette Winterson. It's out from Grove. And this is her memoir of her childhood and particularly a memoir version of the novelization of her childhood that she did earlier, which was called Oranges Are Not the Only Fruit, which she wrote in her 20s. And then she wrote her memoir in her late 40s, early 50s. So she was able to reflect on that novel as her debut, but also on what she'd learned since then. And uh, these two books work in tandem, so I would highly, 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 highly recommend that you go read Oranges first and then read Why Be Happy because they definitely are, I think, meant to be read in that order because of the reflection that Jeanette Winterson has on Oranges in Why Be Happy, which sounds confusing, but it's not. Just just go with it. <laughs> And she's definitely more popular in the UK than in the US, right? Definitely, definitely. I think you can tell that by the beautiful, hideous covers that Grove first put <laughs> on her, her novels, which I am actually collecting. I say hideous, but I actually do love them, and I'm collecting them, and I'm missing, like, two at this point. So I love her her work and what she does, but I feel like Oranges and Why Be Happy are her most famous works here in the US because they have the most resonance and they have a lot of personal feeling and experience in them, which we'll get to later in our discussion. Yeah, so before we get too far ahead of ourselves, like, what were your initial thoughts about, well, as, I guess especially, like, why be happy after reading Oranges is Not the Only Fruit? So I read Oranges, and it's about a young girl who grew up in a very religious household in Northern England, and her mom is very abusive, and she's adopted, and her mom will say horrible things like, I wish we'd gotten the boy that we had intended to get, but, you know, we got stuck with you, a poor, horrible, sinning girl, and she believed the end times were coming, and it was just a, a mess. But there were these interludes of fairy tale of her imagining a different world for herself, and it was just a very beautiful coming-into-age book. So I'm not sure what I expected going into Why Be Happy, but... It was so much more. It was so much more mature in her writing style and her reflections. And she said, I pulled my punches in oranges. I know you won't believe me, but I did. And I just cried like through the second half of the book because it's just so meaningful and beautiful. And she lived a very difficult life, but she came out of it with an amazing amount of positivity. Yeah, the thing that was the most interesting to me about reading Why Be Happy after reading Oranges is that when I was reading Oranges Are Not the Only Fruit, I kept wondering, because the main character in that book is named Jeanette, and so I kept wondering throughout the book, like, how much of this is autobiographical and how much of it isn't? And I felt like that was part of her process of processing everything that happened to her. And then by the time we get to why be happy when you could be normal, she's had more time to sort through all of that and really unpack it in a way that she couldn't 20 years previously. Yeah. And the perspective I think helps. And I feel like we as human beings want an end to the story. And really if a person is still alive, there is no ending, but at the end of oranges, she has escaped and moved on to the possibility of a hope as an adult because she got into university and different things and you don't know what happens but with why be happy you do know how her 
young life went and into, you know, middle age. And I feel like you got a, a wider perspective of what happened with her relationship with her mother a bit more. And, and considering how abusive Mrs. Winterson was, I think that's just an important note to make. Yeah, let's talk about her a little bit more because she's definitely a complicated character in both books. Yeah, so Mrs. Winterson uh, and and obviously Mr. Winterson adopted Jeanette, and Jeanette says she doesn't know exactly why they didn't have a, a child of their own, but she makes some jokes about Mrs. Winterson not wanting to get in that position with Mr. Winterson and, and different things because from a very early age, Mrs. Winterson emphasized that sex in all of its forms, seemingly, to Jeanette was bad. And so she raised Jeanette as a very religious child with end times. And she is very anxious. And she obviously has a lot of mental health problems that aren't being dealt with at all, really. And she's using her religion as an excuse to abuse a child, which is really horrifying to watch. It really is. And I don't think... It was fascinating to watch Jeanette unpack that, too, because she didn't... I don't think she realized at the beginning that she was in an abusive situation. And I think that that's a common trend, almost like Stockholm syndrome or something like that, where you're, when you're in something like that, you don't realize it's abusive until it gets really, really bad. And I think when they did the exorcism on her, um, is the tipping point. (laughs) That's not a spoiler. Really? We'll tell you anyway. (laughs) Yeah. So, but you can tell from the blurb back of the book, Jeanette realizes that she's attracted to women and only women. And so when the church and obviously Mrs. Winterson find out, they believe it's a devil that has inhabited Jeanette and she gets caught with one of her girlfriends. And so they try to perform an exorcism and she's just like, okay, how do I make this end? And so she pretends she repents. She's invited back to the church, but it just doesn't work. She wasn't really taught about anything about sexuality. And so... Yeah, it's very interesting to watch because Jeanette was, she talks about revival meetings and she was preaching at revival and then she would go spend, you know, the night with her girlfriend and that didn't seem any abnormal because there was no sense of discussing that part of life with her at all in her religious community. And since there wasn't that, it was like, well, this is just normal for her. And I found that very interesting because that's what Mrs. Winterson says to Jeanette, why be happy you can be normal. But Jeanette's normal is different from Mrs. Winterson's normal. And Jeanette's normal is happy. So you can see why that was so confusing for her. So after reading Oranges, it ends when she goes to university. And she also talks a lot about being working class and being from the North, which is sort of like America's South. It's like farther away from the capital, well, cultural capital, you might say, of UK and different things. And so she talks a lot about being working class, I think a lot more in Why Be Happy. And I found that very interesting because it also talks more about her university experience as a working class person. And one of her professors says that you are an experiment. (laughs) Yes. Uh, It's so bad that she's treated that way. And there's another section in that book too, where she talks about people thinking she's dumb because she's from that area or something like that. Yeah, that was a really interesting thing to parse out. And I think it, particularly since we interviewed Elizabeth Cat last month about Appalachia, I definitely relate to 
Jeanette Winterson. And if you listen to Jeanette Winterson read some of the audiobooks, you can tell she's, she hasn't lost her northern accent. But when I left, I was definitely pressured to lose my Appalachian accent as much as mm-hmm. possible because of people saying similar things. There's a lot of assumptions that go with your accent. And I really appreciated that Jeanette Winterson tackled that in the UK. And in the UK, they're way more class heavy than we are in the United States, even though we do have classes in the United States. It's more of an obvious thing, I think, over in the UK. And I appreciated how she tackled that as well. I also thought it was interesting how she compared the region to the religious community there because she kind of says like people weren't really involved in the church the way they were because there was really nothing else better to do but also kind of how it brought order to the community but it was also sad to see that you know even though Jeanette was part of this really strong tight-knit community in a lot of ways at this that was kind of isolated from the rest of the world she really didn't understand how to be in relationship with other people which is something that she explores in why be happy a little more fully about how she struggles to have relationships and have intimacy and be vulnerable with people i felt like that part was definitely moving with how she reflected back on her experience that she talks about in oranges and so in why be happy she looks at her relationships, like her romantic relationships, also discovering like her birth mother and how she had always imagined it going well and it wasn't exactly everything that she had hoped it to be, but also coming to terms with her religious background. And one of my favorite sections is where she says something along the lines of a lot of people who leave conservative religious communities try to pretend like it never happened, but she has realized that's part of who she is because that's how she was raised and learning to just accept that that's part of who she is. And so she finds herself browsing like spiritual sections of bookstores and different things. She's not a participant in organized religion, but she just considers herself spiritual. Which I couldn't help but think about Tara Westover and educated because she's also grappling with different questions, you know, growing up Mormon and leaving Mormonism and definitely an interesting companion read to this one or to these two. I definitely think so, especially considering that there are different generations, there are different countries, uh, you know, different religions. It, it's just so interesting to see all of the parallels. And I would love to see someone do a companion review of the two of those books. We would obviously highly recommend that you go check out Why Be Happy When You Could Be Normal. Also, Orange Are Not the Only Fruit, both by Jeanette Winterson and are out from Grove. And which brings us to the end of another month. I can't even believe it. You know, the end of September, and here in the South, that means it's almost fall. (laughs) It's like when the September, when the pumpkin spice lattes come out, it's still like boiling hot. And you're like, do you make the ice pumpkin spice lattes? You know, all the store, even though we're recording this when it's not September yet, you know, there's already like sweaters out at Target. And I'm like, it's 90 degrees out here. Anyway, hopefully by the time this comes out, there, I will be wearing sweaters. I will pray hard. This is a dream. During the two months that we get to wear sweaters. Yes. <laughs> so next month, we're going to be talking about fractured fairy tales. And as always with these types of themes, we are taking it very creatively. Um, so we have a bunch <laughs> of fun books for you next month, loosely based off of a Halloweenish kind of theme kind of not really so definitely want to 
check back for that. We'll see how the inspiration leads us. <laughs> we do not know. <laughs> to unexpected places. <laughs> so that will be fun for sure. Well, that's it for this episode. If you haven't already, we would love to have you review us on your podcatcher of choice, especially Apple Podcasts. It gives us a boost in the algorithm and we love seeing your reviews and we greatly appreciate them. Also, you could definitely check out our newsletter. We have author Q&As that go through there. We announce our discussion books first there. We have most anticipated book releases, which I always love looking through. And we also do book reviews. So if you haven't already, you can find that link in our show notes. So be sure to join us next month where we will be talking about fractured fairy tales. Meanwhile, you can find Reading Women on Instagram and Twitter at The Reading Women. You can find Kendra at KD Winchester and me at Autumn Privet. You can also find us at readingwomenpodcast.com, which where you can find our past episodes, the author Q&As Kendra mentioned, book lists, and more. And thank you all so much for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.